All right. Back. Episode seven of the Growth Vault. Got a little... I got a pinch lucky hitter seven. here. Yeah, lucky lucky number seven. I got a pinch hitter here. Mr. Uh, Rabba Rahil is out on the Vision Quest, currently in Milan. Shout out Milan. Told him not to go, but uh, he's doing it anyway. I'm here with the Chief Growth Officer of Suna, um, which he'll explain what they do in a little bit, and then we'll, we'll go down the path of the regular episode. This is Rickin Diwan. He also writes an incredible marketing newsletter called Marketing Clarity that I don't miss on a weekly basis, but I just call him the one. And so, uh, Rickin, thanks for being here, brother. I, I'm really excited for everyone to essentially just get a window into our chat, like our, our little uh, text message uh, string. We've become like a bromance. Yeah, 100% uh, bromance. Real fast. Yeah. Well, I appreciate yeah. you having me. I'm like your your bootleg brown boy Raba for the day. Yes. But uh, yes. I'll take that. I'll yeah. take that. No, I love for it. Sure. I, I love it. So I'm sure everyone knows what Suna, Suna does, but like what's the quick... Elevate. I hope not. I hope there's more awareness to raise. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So like you said, I'm Chief Growth Officer for Suna. Um, we are your virtual content studio. We make the best content for commerce. And so Suna's been around for four years, started by Liz Georgie, Haley Anderson, our co-founders. So we're female run, came out of kind of like a Techstars project as well. And basically we have four physical studios, content studios, specifically made for e-commerce, like yeah. Denver, Minneapolis, LA, Austin. But most brands ship us their product. So 80% yeah. of the shoots we do, a brand yeah. ships us the product, and then they join in the browser. And yeah. while our cameras are firing and we have 30 you know, full-time creatives on staff in these studios, yeah. while that's happening, the photo shoot's happening, most of the brands, whether it's the founder merchant of a solo Shopify store or like, you know, a massive marketing team, they're all logged in and they're providing art direction to the creatives in real time yeah. in a platform where they could see the content come out in real time and basically like art direct from anywhere in the world. And so yeah. we've grown pretty quickly. We're at like 15,000 brands have used us to produce content. A lot of, we have a lot of shared clientele, I think. And uh, we're just focused on growing it and bringing new solutions. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have used it on um, some experiments, which is apt for this the topic of this that we've done running Pencil, which mm. officially acquired yesterday, everyone. Pat Congrats, I saw that on Twitter. The only person who made that uh, happen. No engineer, <laughs> none of our yeah, founders. No. It was just they me. just sent uh, you into the yeah. room and you're like, you got which to buy is, us. Which is why people should listen to this podcast, right? Like you want to get acquired, listen to Chase. That's so the real. The company is called Brand Tech. Is that yeah, right? Brand, brand tech group. So it's a, it's an agency group similar to like Publicis or um or Omnicom. What were they called before? Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones. See, I had yeah. heard of Mr. Jones. Yeah, you yeah. And Mr. It, it was called you and Mr. You Jones. and Mr. Jones. Yeah, and they uh they rebranded I think a year and a half ago. Yeah, I don't know. I, I ha I'll ask David why they why they did that specifically because I I quite liked you and Mr. Jones as well as Cheeky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. But either way. Yeah. Either so way. is that a big change for you? No, no, it's you're good. not sure. Yet. No, yeah. it's uh, it's good. They've been incredible partners thus far. Some fun stuff coming out next week. So when this pod is released, there was some stuff. They're they're doing some announcements at Can next week, and uh, yeah, they've been great. I think it's like they get our core business of what we do. They want to build in some other things that are that are really exciting. That we're excited to have some like real dedicated partnership on. So it'll be yeah. it'll be it'll be killer. But. I think I've never been a kid. Have you been a kid? No. Con? 
Oh, con. Well, it, I've, it, con? I've been. I, dude, it's literally the Entourage episode. Is it can? Is it con? I don't know. I'm like your turtle. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? I've been to the city. I haven't been to the uh, to either the film festival or in, in a previous life. That was like my my dream of okay, I'm gonna get a film into CanCon and yeah. go. Uh, and that's gonna be the thing. I'm gonna like have my hopefully not my Vinny Chase moment of tanking, but like everything, the four days leading up to that, like, yo, look, I'm yeah. God. but anyway, yeah, that should be fun. So yeah, news. So I have one and I think you have one. Do you think IPOs are back? Kava had a really nice open yesterday. It's very exciting. Obviously it's been kind of a little, a little bit of an IPO winter over the mm-hmm. last, you know, 12, specifically the last nine, uh, you know, nine, six, nine months. Do you think it's back? And also, I think, have you and I have been contributing to this really like very bullish start that they had because we've been eating too much kava the last few weeks? Dude, I've had kava twice in the past two weeks and I've never had it before that. Well, yeah. maybe once I've had it before that. So, yeah. and I didn't even know they're IPOing. So I think we have, I think, yeah. would it go up like a hundred percent yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, wild. you know, that's, that's the listing price, but yeah. Yeah. Do I think IPOs are back? Look, like I, I, we all got like kind of swept up in the SPAC thing, mm. right? We're all buying Chamat's SPAC of the week back <laughs> when we were locked in our in our houses. So I think the IPO might be back. And then you yeah. got this DPO and the SPAC thing going on. Yeah. I think it might be a return to just a legitimate business that is growing. I don't know. Are they prof- Were they profitable yet? Or they're just path to profitability? I think they're path to um, profitability, but I, I haven't dug enough into the, the S1 to know. You know, but it's a, it's a legit business in a growing footprint, probably had to weather the storm of quarantine and COVID just to yeah, get yeah. to this point, right? I'm, I'm imagining they probably thought they might even get there sooner. Yeah. So I hope so, because we also got like a lot of other companies waiting in the wings to yeah. IPO. Strike yes. is probably the most oh, looked God. at. They right? they they really screwed the yeah. pooch. I know a lot of yeah. people work there, so you know I've heard a lot. I hope we'll so. Do that on like a private episode where people have to pay for that access to that information or something. Uh, yeah, when- and not a. Are we allowed to curse on this? Because there's not a yeah, fucking yeah. AI story. Does Kava have an yeah. AI angle? Yeah. No, like, you know it's just a real yeah. meat and rice story that we got going on. So yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I think it's nice. It was a nice reminder that. You know, what is, um, what is, uh, Charlie Munger says, we want to have great businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm like butchering the saying, uh, but it's not about having good businesses and things that are sexy. It's about having like, you know, working with great businesses. And it's funny in our little bubble of the world, AI is, is ubiquitous and omnipresent and yeah. it doesn't matter that much. Like we think it does. Yeah. But it, like to normal people in general, like meat and potatoes, like you said, businesses yeah. like this still matter a great deal. So it's nice to see Kava do something. But who knows? You know, maybe there's going to be a Kava AI where they do a retina scan and they know exactly <laughs> what your order is. I'm sure that's coming at some point. You know what's funny? Like, I, well, I totally agree. And I think like every time it's like, oh, we're going to personalize this. It could be personal. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I've never had any success personalizing anything. Like, I just tell me yeah. what you're excited about and hopefully I'm excited about it too. Like, yeah. I don't want that personalized email. Um, that's the aggregate of what I follow is me personalized, not yeah. like the atom, right? Yeah. And so, 
yeah, I, I think there's other stories that are just on that, like a plumber's hourly rate is going to be more than a, you know, a lawyer's hourly rate once AI really gets kicked off. And same thing, like everything is either a coffee store, a dispensary or a restaurant these days. And yeah. it, you know, that's where we'll find value in the tangible. But yeah, we'll no, see. Love, we'll I, see what else happens. I love that. Yeah. Also, I think the personalization piece is a really interesting one for our kind of main topic today, which is going to be how to build an experiment engine in your business that yeah. doesn't get you bogged down in like complete minutia. So you still have yeah. velocity. But I think you had another kind of newsy topic you well, want to go over. It's not news of the week. It's a little bit, is it last week or the week before? Yeah. yeah. I just don't think you and Rob have talked about it yet, which is no, no, we broke. Yeah. Vision Pro. You're going to buy one? Are you going to buy an Apple Vision Pro and, and Ready Player One this world? I am so analog and really? anti all of that in general. Like, it's not a bad thing. I, I love it for anyone who's into it. I have a really hard time like thinking I'm going to be happy putting something on my face and engaging with it. I kind of have the similar, maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong, by the way. But I have the same feeling I had about like 3D glass. Like these are just fads. It's been going on since the 50s. It will come, it will go, it will come, it will go. It's not something that feels durable because I don't know, it just doesn't feel. Maybe I, th I think we talked about it a second. I said, you know, I think if contacts come in, that might be a thing or glasses. But people have tried this a bunch of times. I think it's maybe a step too far. But seeing them put the Napoleon thing, I have a abiding fascination and obsession with Napoleon. The the Joaquin Phoenix being zoomed in on as Napoleon, I was like, okay, yeah. that was the only way I would buy this. That's the only way to sell it to I mean, me. You know, you mentioned the contacts, and I think that's like a really interesting way to think about it. I want to give you a story, but I'll start here, which is like I read this quote. I can't remember how it goes exactly, but like human imagination actually doesn't stretch that far, mm. and we can kind of like connect certain dots, yeah, you know, and then once we get there, we can connect more, yeah, you know, but not many people can, or not, no one can really skip many steps. And that's partially due to like what technology unlocks, like everything with ready player one has already imagined this. Yeah. Yeah. If you, there's a really cool video that shows their whole intro of like the, I forget, I think it's a, the woman putting it on <laughs> is actually ripped like scene for scene, frame for frame uh -huh. from ready player one, the way they like twist yeah. the camera around and everything. And it's like, it's already been imagined. Yeah. So like when you say contact lenses, that's going to be real. Like I yeah, don't have any doubt. Look at Elon's Neuralink. Yeah. Right. So Neuralink plus this is going to happen. Yeah. So I don't think there's an inevitability anymore that this will happen, whether we like it or not, or we become this like Ray Kurzweil cyborg kind of thing, yeah. singularity yeah, yeah. thing. But, um, you know, I think it's interesting you know, and just on the price point, everyone's shitting on the price point. Well, my I think my father bought a 65 inch projection TV. You remember the projection TV? Oh it's my like the God, big dude. My yeah. dad in storage still has from 2003 this 65 inch. It's like a house. Sony XP. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the one, dude. That's my dad. And that was $3,500. Yeah, $3, yeah. That was $3,500. Yeah. In 2003, not even adjusted for inflation. So, like, price wise, it's not out of the realm. I think, yes, it's been tried before, but yeah. there seems to be this thing. The story I wanted to share is, I don't know if you know this, when I was in college, I interned at Apple in Cupertino. Yeah, I worked in a store all year locally. And then I was like, I got to 
make my marketing degree do something more than working in the retail store of Apple. And so I applied for an, an internship there. And Steve Jobs is still CEO. And every week we got this opportunity to be in the theater on the campus and have a one of the execs speak. And one and one week obviously was was Steve. And I took furious notes. Like yeah. when Tim, Tim Cook spoke, I have a notebook, all written notes. We weren't allowed a laptop or anything. Uh, this was before iPhone came out. And someone asked him, not verbatim, but basically if there were any products that you could do that Apple doesn't already do, what would they be? And his response, so this was 2006, and his response was, I think Apple could do something really cool with phones, which happened the next year in 2007. And I think Apple could do something really interesting with cars, which has kind of played out with CarPlay. Yeah. You know, and apparently they tried to build their own car as well. But what's interesting about Vision Pro to me is it's, you know, and everything other than like the iPad, it's really just a format change of the phone. Like, I don't think it was a big innovation, to be very honest. Maybe the watch is kind of interesting. But this one feels like the first post-Steve idea. Proper innovation, yeah. And going back to like, what can your imagination connect? I think Mm -hmm. he only had enough dots to connect to get to the phone and to the car. Yeah. But like this one needed so many other technologies to emerge in the last, what is this now, 16 years? 100%. So I think that's... that. Meeting, I bumped into him a couple of times and seeing him on stage and with just interns at Apple, which is like, yeah. God bless them for doing that. Yeah. Um, was so intimate. But like this one to me feels like the first thing is pretty cool. Yeah. I think the, to steal one of Rob's lines, the, the too long didn't read for me on this is the question will, the outstanding question for me will be not will early adopters take it on, it's will it actually get through the innovation curve that we need mm-hmm. for adoption, right? It's like the science yeah. does the one, you know, that 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 curve of um, yeah. adoption. And so I know all the people who are into technology who yeah, yeah. spend money because they just want the technology. The question is, does stage two, stage three, and stage four happen? Yeah. And that I don't. I yeah, don't my know. wife couldn't give a shit about it. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't have <laughs> and I'm never going to sit next to my wife on the sofa, and we're both yeah, yeah. wearing these headsets. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, I don't. There's, there's I can't see that. Campaign. That yeah, just yeah. seems so, ridiculous. Yeah, that's so. that's interesting. But it's a great another great dovetail into our like our main topic, which is you know you run experiments to see what's what, and then you can you know double down on those things. Right. And it. So, guys, we're going to talk main topic today. Then Rick and I really nerd out on this together, which is. How do you build an experimental uh, experimental engine within your company to figure out you know what's going to have big impact and also what can have like relatively nice chunks of compounding gains over time? Like not everything is going to be a big win. It's kind of the, I would say the um, it's part B of uh, part B of the album of what we talked about last week, which was moonshot marketing. So I don't know, like Rick and how do you how do you think about like experiments in general and setting that up because. There's obviously structure, you know, we can talk about all the tactical things, but on a macro level, like what what do experiments really mean to you, having run so many in the past? You tweeted out something the other day about how you you kind of score an idea. And I think that's yeah. like an interesting place to start, which is like, I think growth, like, because now that we're like growth marketers, right? This is called the yeah. growth ball. And like that distinction of what is marketing, what is growth is like nebulous, but like... Mm at least it's expanded 
to include kind of the science of this. Like, I think yeah. that's A, what's made experimentation possible. Yeah, We've even talked about like, what is growth product and does it sit in marketing versus yeah. a product team, right? But like the end of the day, like someone who is growth, I think they are channel obsessed, right? Yeah. Which is how do you create the demand? How do you create the pipeline? But they're also kind of product people. Like I, yeah. I think I'm an idea person and I look at products and I'm always just trying to fix them in a way. Yeah. Like I'm always trying to tweak them, optimize them. Like, you know, a hook's landing page is a very specific touch point yeah. that they're obsessed over, but it's become a business in of itself. Of like I yeah. can optimize just this one step. And I think that's like what the growth marketer does. Yeah. And then if you're an idea person and you're always thinking and trying to improve, you come up with ideas. Hopefully you do it collectively. We could talk about that too. Like who's in yeah. that room? It's kind of interesting. And then you score them in terms of like, what do you think they'll do? And then you execute, you know, and you measure. And yeah, yeah. I think that's where it starts. I mean, there's a lot of tools and structure that you need, but yeah, yeah. that's that's what experimentation is. The thing that's really interesting about it, I'll talk from an early stage perspective, which you're in as well, is experimentation. When I've been in bigger orgs, it's siloed big time. Like you, you don't really get the full gamut of how does something end to end actually have impact. And like you said, you become channel obsessed. You're a growth marketer, but really you're just a channel expert. Especially when you're IC level, start getting to executive, you have a little bit more breadth of what you get visibility to. But mm. experiments, I think one of the the biggest things I push people to do is think end to end about what the impact will be upside and downside, right? Because things take bandwidth, you need engineering help, you need, you know, there's a, a whole host of things you're going to need. But the idea of experimentation to me is trying to find the, like the soft spot in the zone, if you will, to add value to your business. Yeah. So like my dad always says, like, go push the wall and see if there's a stone that's loose and you can dig and get through the wall from there. And so yeah. similarly, like I'm thinking of experiments is like, okay, I don't know where the soft spot is. So I've got to just kind of think through my customers experience, what we're doing right. as a product and like start trying to just tinker. And maybe from some of this tinkering, I'll find a big idea because big ideas, like everyone's big ideas just are out there. Big ideas that are impactful or not. Like there's a lot of big ideas, but yeah, actual yeah. bottom line drivers and or top line drivers, which we talked about last week, definitely aren't. They're not a dime a dozen. You can do a lot of small experiments. Those are dime a dozen because you have a lot of data points, et cetera. So I think we talked about like macro level. Maybe we can discuss... Yeah, and there's a lot of types of experiments. Hundred yeah, percent. Like what, what you're talking about there, like I'll give a good starting point. Like even when I when I joined Suna, I think one experiment that can be wholly kind of thought of with growth teams and marketing teams is CRO, yeah. like conversion yeah. rate optimization, right? And like owning the funnel and the steps at which, like, how does the creative on the channel on the site in the funnel? Because sometimes yeah. the funnel in a weird way, like I think we're B2B SaaS kind of guys. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to like shit on the D2C world, but our funnels are always custom and always have so many other inputs from like yeah. product teams yeah. in them that it's difficult, <laughs> right? Whereas like, hey, like Shopify has, like they flip on the one page checkout and you yeah. know, like that's your CRO. Like yeah. we have to like convince this like moving mass of a product team to make a change in a funnel. 
that a yes. lot of people touch in a SaaS thing that's a little bit different. Uh, you know, I've done it now in insurance and now I'm doing it in a creative service thing. And like, it's interesting. There is no, here's the other thing. There is no funnel platform for SaaS, like how Shopify is that platform for D2C and e-commerce, no. right? Like we just don't have a tool that's already kind of thinking about this. Yeah. So we have to kind of mobilize a team. And I think a good way to start is just to get them obsessed with conversion rate optimization. Uh, that's and so part of that is like, what is your tech stack, right? Yeah. And yeah. the GA, although I don't even want to go down the GA4 thing, which I think is a trash fire. And then what is your product analytics? Because now your product, product teams like hate Google analytics. They don't yeah. trust it. So yeah. like, then you got to use something like Amplitude, right? Yeah. Where you got product analytics, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you have your A-B testing platform. But I think this is like the things that I, like even at Sooner that I put in place and at Thimble we put in place, which is like, Thimble was a previous company I was at, where it's like, this is the tech stack. Now get the right people who can like impact that stack in a room and just get them up, like focused on, can you get to... 2% site-wide conversion, 3%, 4% site-wide yeah. conversion, you know, and beyond. I don't know what your ben- benchmarks are, but... I yeah, would, yeah, yeah. I, I think this yeah. is, I love the idea of getting someone obsessed with something. I think the other thing you said, which is really impactful, is like when you're running B2B SaaS, like the difference is, and I actually think a lot of um, like the great D2C companies think like this, which is... Oh, yeah. It's not about it being like, you have to start somewhere. So everyone's going to start kind of out of the box. This is how we're going to run it. This is how we start. And then you, you, you layer on complexity. The thing that's, I think, the biggest challenge I have seen in, um, in B2B SaaS specifically is even at the early stage, there is no real path. No matter what kind of company you are, whether you are one of you know 5,000 that have come before you or like you're like you or I, which is like, we're just, we're creating a category kind of feeling yeah. in the dark for how do we do this thing? There's no real way to do it. I think this is kind of when you have a culture of experimentation, you're able to category defining is probably the right word. It sounds a bit hyper, uh, like a bit hyperbolic, but yeah, I, I love the idea of having a culture of experimentation, especially when you're starting something that hasn't been done before. So for instance, I talk a lot about like pricing experiments. Like this is one of the things that I'm really passionate about because you don't really understand what the elasticity of a customer right. in your market and also kind of where the breaking point is for conversion velocity. And so yeah. I love that probably my favorite thing to do outside of onboarding is pricing experiments. Like there's all the engagement stuff you can do. These are all kind of the tinker, but the things that I think have the biggest impact. And promos, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Marketers, I think you can hack, not hack, you can kind of like you could convince the company to do a pricing experiment by saying it's a promo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then show the economics of what that promo yeah. did. Yeah. And then, okay, now how can we like systematize this? How can we yeah. make this more yeah. real? But I, I, yeah, pricing's a hard one too. Oh, it's, it's the- because there's other like, you know, there's other impact of it's not just like a percentage of conversion rate. It's like margin analysis and yeah, yeah, yeah. adoption, or is this LTV? Like, I think it has to hit the AOV, or it has to hit the CAC yeah. immediately yeah. for startups at our size. Yeah. Whenever so, it's yeah. like, oh, this is going to help the LTV, I, I get a little skeptical, to be very honest. I don't know how you approach it. But, yeah. I want to I know. I, so essentially, I want to know the LTV of a customer at that 
I guess I always call it like LTV durability at that right. price point. Like what's the resiliency? The yeah, yeah, like how resilient is this LTV number at this? Can yeah. I like is my payback relatively solid? And like, look, we're we're both. I mean, not anymore, but like we're both venture backed companies, so we could give, we can give a little bit on CAC. But you still need to know the economics makes sense because you want to yeah. still be like operating at a really, really efficient pace so that your, like you say, your economics make sense. So I don't know. Yeah. I know you've done a lot of, like you said, promo testing and like figuring out kind of where that soft spot is. I've done a bunch, kind of have figured out where the breaking point is. What's well, like a lot. pricing experiment you did? Have you done a, a pencil? Yeah, yeah, we've done a bunch. So we have, we've probably had like, since I've been here, like 15 different like prices in the realm. And yeah. it's a lot of it comes down to market dynamics, right? So like, I, I think pre iOS, people were willing to pay more and AI was a bit of a novelty back then because there was no one else doing what we did. There's still mm -hmm. no one else actually mm -hmm. does what we do, but they say they do. And so we were able to charge an upmarket price, but we were getting a lot of really strong customers or people who were trying to innovate. So it's kind of that early stage we were talking about with the Vision Pro. Yeah, yeah. What we did, and our product wasn't ready for the scale of customers and the kind of long tail finickiness, if you will, like for lack of a, t a technical term, we did a pricing experiment maybe a year and a half ago at like a hundred bucks yeah. for the starter plan and it smashed. And what is it now? Or what was it before that? It was 500 and 750. We had done a 250 and that did quite well and had stickiness in terms of retention, actually. Yeah. But like, we're building this kind of, we said, feeling in the dark, building this product, yeah. trying to figure out what's actually going to be impactful for that price. And so we finally got the product to a place and I did a bunch of, like you said, LTV analysis and kind of, I looked at it on two, like two vectors, who paid the most money and who stayed around the longest. Right. And it's it's the latter one. That, yeah. It's the latter one. Exactly. And then also what naturally led to upsell potential. Like that was kind yeah. of the, like the little ace in the hole of what I was using to kind of like think mm -hmm. through that. And $100 was where you saw like, oh, wow, we're converting a shitload of people. Yeah. Pro like proper PLG. Like this was not, there, there was no sales touch whatsoever. And people were automatically upgrading themselves within a few weeks. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not like a huge, like 50% of people who convert, but you know, 10% people do it another 10% look at the pricing table, which is a signal to like, okay, we can go have a sales touch there to get them started. Yeah. And then the rest of the people either stick around or churn. And like, that's that's life when you have a like a, a low price yeah. tier. But we weren't ready We weren't ready for it. And so a lot of that kind of, I don't want to say, uh, like we had a lot of people who stuck around, but a good amount of people uh, left that left that tier yeah. and churned because the product wasn't there. So when, we, when I went back to it and I said, okay, we want to try this again, we're feeling this kind of surge of inbound coming from both the brand that we've built and then like a, honestly a tailwind of AI mm -hmm. where there's this, mm -hmm. you know, there's this interest and the 100 just crushed. Yeah. crushed it. it's, like a, it's a confluence of things, right? Like I, I don't want to- Do you guys have a freemium as well or no? I don't know. Can neither confirm nor deny whether that is uh, on the board. But okay, we okay. Have, we have that's happy. what you're announcing at con. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A yeah. <laughs> big announcement at con. Uh, yeah, uh, and still has a freemium. But no, no, we'll keep we that. Play, we share. played around. We played around with it. And in terms of like getting people on, hundred percent, it's it's uh, it works. Yeah, 
The idea is is making sure people, and this is going to sound bad because I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this are in DTC and are customers, but like I say this for every single type of brand, there needs to be a forcing function to conversion. And a lot of freemium tools that start out don't actually think about how you like, this is a violent term, but like kind of choke people into a position that they need to get into it. And so I think Miro does a really good job where it's like, look, you have three boards. Yeah. So I was being so cheap that I was like going into the corners of mm-hmm, these boards mm-hmm. and creating stuff. Finally, I was like, dude, screw this. I want to have order in this thing. It's $8 a month privately for me yeah. to do it. Let's just do it. And I just use it all the time now. And it's unlimited amount of boards for myself. Personally, I want to do teams. That's another upgrade, etc. But it's... 100%, I hit that limit in a day or a day and a yeah. half that I was using it. So, I And then that experimentation of what's like in the tier, right? Like what's yeah. going to get them from that one to exactly. 100 or 500? Exactly. Yeah. You know, is it accounts? Is it seats? Is it a feature? Is it yeah. white glove service, right? Yeah. Like 100%. Um, we've talked a lot about like decision-making in three figures is super yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. four, with it's self-serve sometimes. And like yeah. with four figures though, it's very rarely self-serve and yeah, people want, want a human to talk to or yeah. maybe an AI bot, who knows? Yeah, I think like pricing is one where promo's been something interesting. I'll be like super transparent. Like yeah. we have been doing quite a few promos and like in my time here, like tested so many different promos out. And, you know, it's funny too. Like one of them is when you come to Suna, it's only $39 down payment. So that yeah. way, like, you know, we have to book time. We have to like, have this product shipped to us for free. Yeah. So it's super low barrier to entry, $39. But sometimes that in and of itself is a hump to try us out. And so we've done a couple of things. Like sometimes we're just like, look, this week, no down payment at all. No $39 down payment. Here's a promo code. It will waive that. And it will be applied as like a photo credit, you know, so you get your first yeah. photo free. Yeah. Even just the wording of that. Like, is are we saying no down payment or are we saying one free photo? Yeah. Can have different results. Yeah. And then interestingly, one time we did it as like, or maybe a couple of times now, we've done it as $9 down payment. Yeah. It's not 39 and it's not free. It's nine. Yeah. And like the $9 got so much intensity. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting of like, oh man, like if you give a little bit away for free, people don't feel any urgency. If you actually put yes. value to it, oh, I could save $30. Like yeah. there's some type of, there's some human psychology. We should talk to Sarah Levenger. I bet she yeah. knows, you know, a better way to describe this. Yeah. But like, there's something there and it's worked. And then recently you actually called me out on it. You texted me like, how's, how's this doing from a, a UE point of view? We get five photos free and then that just crushed it. Yeah. And then like, you know, we just have to trust then and also like kind of optimize that our NP, like our NPS score is super high and that our retention yeah. rate will be super high. And like, yeah. you know, we're going to retain this customer and like to do something like that. But all of this over the course of the year has actually now kind of realized like, okay, wait, we're doing too much. It's creating a bad behavior in our customer where they're going to expect a promo. Yep. But now we think we know what's worked after all this experimentation, you know, month over month or, yeah. you know, seasonality wise. And we're probably going to change our pricing model in a way that I think will be really exciting for everyone. And I think rather than create like spikes in our business, it will just raise and like lift the bar and maintain that with a new pricing model. So like um, for entry. And then the other thing we did, you know, was last year we launched a thing called Preferred. And it was just like, our model is pay for what you love. So rather than pay for the photo shoot, 
you only pay if you love the photo. Yeah. But, and it's $39 a photo. So you want a shoot with us, it's a couple hundred bucks for a SKU and you're going to yeah. fill your Shopify store so much cheaper than using like a big agency yeah. and then so much more purpose made than like hiring a freelancer because yeah. they just don't get the volume that would allow them to have the props and the models that we have or the scenes that we have. You're going to yeah. end up spending so much more to add all these extras in and we just have them. But yeah, like when we, when I came into the business, that was all we were doing. And then I kind of realized Ooh, people behind the scenes, it's like we are helping bigger brands Yeah, and they're buying 500 assets at once. But from a pricing perspective, we're actually not speaking their language. Like on our yeah. homepage, we're saying $39. So like the big fortune 500s come in, they don't understand the pay for what yeah. you love <laughs> language. Like they're used to RFPing yeah. an agency and hearing back yeah. that it's going to be 50K. And so like, there's an interesting thing of pricing and how to build tiers and also yeah. make sure that the tiers don't overlap too much. Because I think yeah. part of the experimentation or the trap of pricing is cannibalization. If you have mm -hmm. too many options at the same price point or kind of range. Yeah. And you have to understand what is your customer's mentality, right? Yeah. Like their breaking points of range could be very different. Like 100%. 500 and 1,000 doesn't mean anything to a client who's used to spending 50,000, but it could mean the world of difference to someone who just started the Shopify store. Yeah. So we've been experimenting a lot with that. And then you need like a BI, like you need some intense kind of BI work you yeah. know, done to make yeah. sure you're getting it right. Sometimes you don't know until six months later, was this like a huge unlock or was it yeah. a cannibalization? So you have to also continue to keep an eye on it. Yeah, so BI, BI for anybody is just business intelligence. You you want to kind of oh, understand, yeah, yeah. understand like the your, the business, the underlying metrics, and everything that kind of goes along with it. Him and I are talking about UE unit economics. I think this is kind of the big thing with all experimentation <laughs> is like you want to have a sense of each thing has its own way to look at. It. So when we're talking about pricing, this is unit economics, right? Like we need to understand how yeah. what happens to a customer because we want to give them the world, but we can't lose our shirt doing it. Like this yeah. is what all of the, like the companies that, you know, we loved pre 2022 and 2022, they crashed and burned because they gave away the farm, didn't have a really sustainable system with which to actually like recoup yeah. that money long-term. Like, you know, shout out Allbirds, the sub $1 share price right now. Like that's a, that's a crash and burn, right? And Jeez. great team, great, you know, they've done all amazing great products. Things. Yeah, yeah, no, no shitting on them, but you, you can't, yeah, your customers like to do things. You have to really understand their psychology, and so I think experiments at pricing. There's a certain psychology there. I think in product, in experience, is also a really interesting psychology based on where they come in from pricing. Like yeah, you said, the cohort, the co yeah, like cohort level price, like pricing tier level cohorts. When they come in, there's a different experience. I think this is probably one of the hardest things for building a product. Is you have to build a product for everyone. And like at a macro level, but also it has to be a singular kind of experience for each person. And I think yeah. like this, this thing for me has been one of the harder things to I don't know, not control, but get customers to understand, you know, there's a platform, what you're getting in this experience is more than this, yeah. but the platform is the platform. Um, and so, yes, you can lock things, you can tier things, etc. But like, core pipeline, which I always call kind of the experience that is the thing that gets you customers, not the thing that keeps yeah. them, but the thing that gets you customers 
is the same for everybody, right? You make your brand kit, you generate, you get your ads, you get them out the door, boom, you re- data comes in, let's run it back. Yeah. And so I think this is one of the other ones that like I've run quite a few experiments trying to find ways to interact with with customers in platform and then on site. Like I have a, I have a fun one did on site. Um, I want to hear from you, but I found the more conversational I was being in all of our messaging, newsletter, everything else, like the better responses we were getting. Oh, yeah. Um, and the more kind of we showed our personalities, which is essentially just my personality. And so yeah. we, we did a chatbot. We've, we've, we've gone a little farther than that, trying to see if we can do some new things in there. But the original thing was on our, I think I told you guys this, in our private chat, like I put a bunch of intercom pop-ups on every page and they were just movie emojis or movie GIFs, GIFs, whatever the fuck people call them. Yeah, um, yeah it's GIFs. GIFs. Well, I'm, I'm a GIF. I'm a GIF guy. I'm in the GIF. Um, graphical yeah so gif of just movies so like put super bad yeah old school we have the same thing liz our ceo writes you know i don't get to copy edit it she writes yeah. no one on my team copy edits it she writes the a monthly newsletter and then we fill in the rest of the month with other yeah emails and she loves she's gonna love hearing this her email from an attribution perspective, like with UTM attribution drives more revenue and she doesn't talk about promos. She might be excited about a new product, but it's not like a product launch email. Like it's not a flow. It consistently generates the most revenue. Yeah. And I think you have to like also give yourself that freedom to like experiment and not be so performance driven every single time that you're like, you know, a letter or like often just like those plain text emails we write. Actually, hers yeah. is a plain text email. It's not in like an HTML template yeah. that we run through. Yeah. We're weird. We use Clavio for a B2B yeah. SaaS, but yeah. like it's not in one of those perfect templates. It's just a plain text, like good email. And it does the best. Yeah. How would, you, I, know? How would you know without doing it, right? Like you, would you never... wouldn't know. And, and CRM is an interesting thing too. Like when I was at Uber, well, here's one fun thing. I don't believe in stat sig. So like <laughs> when we were at Uber, we had like these data scientists be like, this doesn't reach stat sig. I'm like, we're Uber. If Uber doesn't have an email base that they can send an email to and like then confidently say it's stat sig. Yeah. What I mean by that is I don't believe that a decision should be made or waited to be made when your tool or someone tells you you're at stat sig. Like I think yeah. you got to trust enough other signal there yeah. as well before you get there. And like, especially as a startup, like, you know, I'm very proud. We have 30 something thousand emails or 40,000 emails that go out or lists uh, like in the list size. And like, even that won't get you stat sig easily. No, 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 no. You know, and especially if you're trying to something like down funnel or like a cohort that is like yeah. one year old and you're only a three year old company, like yeah. you're just not going to know. And now, yeah. you know, that does help you, which is like, why are you optimizing that when there's just not enough volume yeah. in that spot? But yeah, like I think, um, I think email is a hard one to pull the lever and like see immediate impact, yeah. but you, you have to be willing to like try a few things and a few yeah. different approaches and a human touch. I don't think emails have to be personalized perfectly, yeah. but I think they have to be humanized on the other, on the sender side. Completely. Completely. And that's working really well, whether you're B2B yeah. or whether you're D2C, whatever it is, yeah. I think that goes a long way. You said something right now that I think is like, uh, 
super important to drill down on. I thought about this a lot. So, you know, the old, the old data scientists, this isn't, this didn't get to power, bro. Right. Fuck off. Okay. We have enough yeah. information to right. confidently move forward and drive. Like, so first thing, if you are only letting data make your decisions for you in your business and you're in some sort of leadership position and you don't have like a sense of, and I'm talking about quantitative data. Like yeah. You have to synthesize, I have a big proponent of this, like take your qualitative and your quantitative and weight them, like weight them the same because there's a lot of things you'll miss on either side without kind of laying yeah. things on top of each other. But to drive anything forward, when you are small and you don't have enough to, you know, be statsig or get to power or whatever the fuck, you really have to have a, you have to have a close relationship with your customers that essentially allows you to fill in the gaps really, really quickly. And so this yeah. is why I'm a big proponent with everyone is like, be as close to your customers as possible, whatever kind of business you run, whether it's an e-commerce business, retail business, B2B SaaS business, whatever you do, because they will they will give you the stories that allow you to say, okay, I don't understand this gap in the the data that I have. And people are saying it's not enough data to make a decision on. But I've talked to 15 customers in the last month. And anecdotally, 70% of them feel this way about this piece of the business. Yeah. Just you just don't want to be, you don't want to be in the room trying to defend something where on the dashboard, it's like yes. 20% below what is yeah. existing or whatever it's being yeah. test with. Yeah. You don't want to be there. But if you're like in that finite margin of like yeah, less than a 1% yeah. difference and you know, hey, this change is going to allow me to do X, Y, and Z later. Whereas yeah. if I revert to the current, I can't get there. So like we've yeah. tested like a homepage header that is static versus a carousel. Yeah. And by the way, I, I would go with static yeah, um, yeah. versus a carousel in your header. But then we put the carousel right below, you know, yeah. and then we're like, I need this there. Because I know I got four things that are completely disparate to announce in the roadmap. Yeah. And I don't know how to give it like an above the fold real estate unless I start to at least have this module. And so if this module is within 1%, can we please stop spending the next six weeks yeah. hoping it gets to stat sig and just like lock it in and move on because we got to go launch those other things. So like, yeah, I think data is really, it's your friend you know, but you just don't want to get close to, you don't want yeah. to get in these moments where you're like getting finicky over da da it, data. Or don't like, marry data. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, uh, we both love Lenny's product podcast. And yet just I think yesterday he had Shopify's chief growth officer. This guy's yeah. a genius. Uh, I think it's Luke Levesque. It's very French spelling of all this. You know, he told the story about after three months of being at Facebook, Zuck calls him in the office and he says, what impact have you made? And I think like we do need to be armed with data. I thought like that was such a good way. Yeah, You, you know, to. like, you know, it reminded me to change my project brief template where instead yeah. of starting with like background and like objective, mm -hmm. I start with now headline and impact. Yeah. Because like we have to say this is the impact it's going to have measurably. Yeah. 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 And so like I think the same thing with experiments and your 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 closeness with data in this moment, you have to know that it's going to have an impact. You have to see it. 
You know, otherwise you don't want to be at the end of the quarter and be like, we think we moved conversion rate yeah, yeah, no. by point something percent. Like, you know, then that's that's a hard one to keep gaining trust amongst your peers and leadership from. I think the thing you just brought you brought up with um having that data accessible and knowing how to craft the story around it, something Rob and I are both very passionate about is how do you tell a story with data is what it does is having that as kind of your foundational layer of communication calms the room so that then you can get across the line on some of the things that aren't as aren't as data heavy and are a little yeah. more either anecdotal, qualitative, etc. But because you have said, hey, this is the quantitative measurement, this is why we've done it. And I think there's another portion you brought up that that is not talked about enough, which is how does this fit into the overall organism? You said mm. something at the beginning, which is like, look, you know, there are things you do, but you can't think about them at just the atomic level. You have to think about them kind of as a whole organism. And so you can do an experiment on its own, but, oh, it's really impactful. Oh, we layer it into the entire thing. This is fucking up our entire conversion rate. You just brought up the website example, yeah. right? That is a taking an atomic part and saying, okay, it's going to layer in because we need it to do this thing specifically. And we know if we leave it out, it's going to have these, these impacts down the road. Not just, hey, it's going to mess the conversion rate up or lift it today, but for yeah. the things that we're trying to announce, do, et cetera, um, like what are the subsequent steps or subsequent kind of pieces of our business that we know are coming? And so it's- And like, I think that's where you need the business yeah. to say, look, we have a, I'm making this up. Yeah. We have an AOV problem. Right. Like, let, let's just start there. Right. Like we have an yeah. AOV problem. Maybe yeah. the business could say we have a CAC problem or we have a retention problem. Maybe it's even an AFOV, right? Like an average first order value or an average yeah. order value. It's just, we're getting customers, but they're not valuable enough. Right. Yeah. I think you need that first from the business to be like, okay, like I hear you business. Cause some people are, some people are very, operation metrics, like the the abbreviations they know are operational. Yeah. And some people are very marketing growth metric, but like there's a metric in your business that you both speak. There has to be, right? And then from there, you can have like a brainstorm session. And when you were going, it's in your tweet. You got to share that one. But like, you know, your scoring system, like, is this yeah. going to be impactful? Is it going to take too much time and too much effort, right? And yeah, like- yeah, yeah. And then, but if you give everyone an AOV and say, okay, come up with ideas for experiments that can push AOV. If you don't give them that, like first, they're going to come up with things all over the place. Yeah. And then you're not moving the business towards its objective. And I, I hated OKRs in the beginning of like my career. And I, I've seen companies do like OKRs really poorly where like departments get OKRs. Yeah. And I never love that. Like, I think like the business needs to say at all sizes, there's an OKR. The department says, here's my projects and impact that I can have laddered up to that KR, especially. Yeah. And then here's how we're going to get there. And you, you got to build reporting into that dashboards into that. And it's the hardest thing to do. It's the yeah. hardest thing to speak with clarity and simplicity around your data that gives somebody confidence that you did your job, whatever you're doing is worth doing. Dude, so. that last framework is a fucking great. It's like, if I'm going to sum it back up, it's the company has an objective. The 
department has a, a key result that ladders up to the objective and all yeah. the re, like results that you're trying to drive, uh, the key results you're trying to drive are like based, like all your experiments are based on that. So you're essentially saying rather than every single person and every single department having this OKR system, it's like, no, no, the O starts at the company level and then we waterfall it on down. Yeah, don't make up like what are marketing's OKRs. It doesn't matter. Yeah. No, it doesn't Especially matter. in a small company. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. man, I, I, I you, you, you get really bogged down in this OKR processing. It, it gets a little, I, mean, I think there's a little hagiography hey around like yeah. OKRs because Google does them. And it's like, dude, it's Google. Like it's different. They have to kind of control the fucking madness. It's not the same yeah. thing. As, I mean, I don't love, I don't think it's a perfect framework. I no, think it no, misses no. like projects. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the next thing, but that's yeah. your job. Like the department's job is the projects. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so then, how part do you, of that project do you, do you is like experimentation. Job, do you think then KR is almost for for the department just goes to jobs to be done, kind of rather than rather than that? Like you go objective, you know the result that you need, and then it's like the rest of it is just jobs to be done underneath that. So it's like O K R J T D or something. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah you know, yeah, I think yeah. J T D is a great way to do it. But you know, you have one. You said it the other day. Your budgets to bet. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. We call it bets to budget. Um, but whatever you want to call it, like, all right, well, here are my big swings and that can be done at the department level. And not every department needs to have a swing that ladders up to impacting a KR, which ladders up to meeting a company objective, but like your jobs. And then from there, I would say, okay, well, here's like the, I'm a person who's like, if you can tell me these are the three things you're focused on, like it's gotta be in threes. I'll remember it. I think you've put it through a lot of testing then, or like pressure testing and you've said these are the three things i'm doing these are three bets i'm making yeah liz asked us the other day she she has these moments you know i've learned a lot from her she's like if you told me you could do two things and your job relied upon it and like by the end of the year we're talking like did you do those two things those are your big swings and you got you better make sure those ladder up to like a company objective but I love how we started off with like many minute experiments and came up to this level yeah 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 i think it's uh it's funny because Minute experiments, like uh, it's that you have a to-do list and you're like, oh, I love having 10 things that I can check off because I feel good. And that's the minute experiments. But the real needle movers are those ones that either are the moonshots that you take or the ones where you're like, okay, I see kind of how this is at the brain. Yeah, and and pricing, I think, is a great one that you brought up. Yeah. Because it's going to have an immediate, it's going to have an immediate feedback loop. Yeah, immediate feedback loop. There's kind of like places it fans at it. It comes to customer acquisition, customer retention, like product usage velocity. There's a bunch of different things that that fan out from there. And I still don't think enough people really study monetization. Um, like yeah. Elena Verna has a great course at Reforge that that dives that dives into this. So yeah, everyone should should take that if if they're trying to figure out how to do pricing, how to think about pricing experiments, etc. She's um she's brilliant. I'll have to so, check that out. Yeah, uh, we just did experiments, everybody, and now <laughs> we are going to have Rickens product of the week. Like, what have you been using about that you're you're excited about or think is just dog shit? Can I sneak in two? Hit it, quick ones. I'll do TLDRs. Yeah. Look, I, I think Beehive's been crushing it on crushing. the newsletter platform. You know, I tried Substack before too, and I think Substack is great. You know, I know a lot of people have their like flavor of choice, but I think it's yeah. like. I think it's, they ship so fast, um, new features, and then they've really thought through 
the referral growth and monetization part of newsletter that I don't know, you know, I think some people are like, this is peak newsletter, you know, but like email is that atomic unit of what you want on your customer. We've all been like burned before by using someone else's distribution and not owning it. So I got to give them a big shout out. I'm on it. Like you said, and yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it as well. So, okay, okay. This is this is interesting. Like talking about Substack versus Beehive, on a product level, I feel like Substack was built by engineers who had a thought about how to do newsletter. Mm, yeah. I feel like Beehive was built by people who who went through that grind of growing a newsletter, growing a newsletter and building yeah, Morning Brew. Yeah, yeah, they built the whole Morning Brew uh, infrastructure. And we're we're a part of that, um, and kind of like you said, which is like, why I think marketers can be great founders. But you have to have like a product mindset. But yeah, that's yeah. absolutely that's a great observation. Yeah, yeah. I so it. I love what they're doing. Shout out Tyler, um, Dank. Yeah. him and his team are um, absolutely crushing it. And yeah. I think they, they do a great job on support as well. Like I want to just give them a shout out. I had something the other day, and I talked to the COO. I was emailing with her about something, and it got fixed in fifteen yeah. minutes. Yeah, and like it's. It's a, we're $99 a month. Yeah. Like it's not something where it's a, you know, this huge, we're not a huge no. enterprise. I haven't done the paid one yet. And I think yeah. I will, um, yeah. but I want to do it as an experiment. I want to yeah, approach yeah. Well, it and like, I, I did it how, what is my rate of growth? I did it as an experiment to see some, some of the deeper customer insights that were coming out of that. And yeah. it's really, really interesting. And one thing like I just did this week for the first time was a custom poll. And it's yeah. really fascinating because like, oh, what do you want to see more in the newsletter? And something that I thought was actually good had didn't have as many votes as I thought it would. And oh, interesting. the thing that I didn't want, and I thought that was such a fun way to make the the whole experience interactive. My poll would be, should this newsletter be shorter? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, I love that. Okay, so like, I think this is another portion of kind of experiments, right? Yeah. I, for instance, when I started running all of the marketing for Pencil, I love long form content. Like I love long essays, yeah, yeah. right? I didn't, I didn't think about what do people in this target ICP want? And so finally yeah. I started to experiment like, okay, this is not getting what I want to. It's not being shared as much. I did something short. Boom. You see the, I know. the numbers change. There's that book. Oh, I'm blanking on it. I was reading it earlier this year. I'm not even a reader. Smart brevity. And, you know, and their thing is like you, especially for like a newsletter format, keep it short. Yeah. Um, which Product cool. two. What's product two? Opus Pro. Have you heard of this one? Bro, I love Opus. We talked a little yeah. bit about it last week. We talked a little bit about it last week. It's uh, Oh, I'm so sorry. But you know, no, no, I just I'll it. double down. I hate to say it, like that might be AI eating someone's job. I mean, like I've paid editors, you know, Dude. to just make social clips. I know a lot of people yeah. offshore it. I know that there's yeah. like monthly subscription services for it. Now yeah. look, it's not perfect. And yeah. I think like with all things AI that's attacking creative my personal view is like it helps you skip steps that you then as a curator and an editor can get the last say in what it should be my language (laughs) you know but i don't think like we should replace humans or true innovation because ai is autofill on steroids it only does what it knows and only like we can bring new things to it so like that's kind of at least generative ai as it is today yeah. And so like, that's where, but anyway, shout out to Opus Pro. I think that's a cool product yeah. for those of you who don't know. It could take like a video clip. I think like 
10 minutes is like the free version or something and it yeah. splices it into social clips. Yeah. So I know you, you guys are on YouTube right now. You just put it on YouTube uh, and like so doing your shorts and your reels. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you just take, you take it out there and it's shorts and reels. I've been, I've been cool, playing around cool with product. For this. Cool yeah, it's, it's a really cool product. And by the way, it's still incredibly early stage. So the editor will get better. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't think we don't have much fine tuning right now. No, you don't have much fine tuning, but they'll, they'll again, build into that. If you so. can connect that dot, they can oh, too. And, they'll be killer. and so, what's yeah. your, your point about it being like autofill? It's, 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 my yeah. entire job has been about people understanding that. So you just actually made my job easier. I'm going to start just using that. Hey, oh, yeah, yeah. autofill your creative, uh, your creative production. Okay. So. My growth of the week, I, I just sung her praises a second ago. She wrote a post actually today. I had something different, but I just, I loved it. She said, when you're optimizing your PLG motion, a lot of yeah. people go to the company problem or the user problem. They don't think about the team problem. Mm. And so she wrote a post about this. And I thought, she's like, if you get to team usage, that's when you win. And so I started thinking about a few products that everyone mentions. Wait, right? you got her, the she was the person. Oh, oh Elena Vernon. Sorry. Elena Vernon. Yeah, let me refer her. her. I'll, uh, yeah, refer. I'll give, yeah. I'll uh, link it in the post in the show notes. It was on, um, it was on LinkedIn. I thought that was such an interesting way to think about it. Because I always talk about, you know, you think about the beginning and the end, you don't think about the middle and the middle is kind of where you actually make your hay. Because yeah, that's yeah. how you increase the like the what I call the runway of LTV, a lot of times, and optimizing for team usage. So, for instance, Miro does this with like, hey, get your teams whiteboarding. You know, yeah. Slack does this. Get yeah, I just move my team on. over to Notion and like there's Notion, like, get yeah. people like and the idea between getting the teams involved is not breadth of usage it's depth of engagement because if teams get down in there and they start driving down you know based on like what you 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 showed me some of the notion templates you have once you get down there oh my god i mean for instance we just went to refiling all bugs we had this bug filing system before called kipwise or something and we changed over to notion and so now i see the note i mean it is on yeah. fire and then they have these things of like you can be a member or you could be a guest exactly and exactly. it's actually what to me i can't say coda doesn't do this now but yeah. i used to be a coda guy yeah. and guests were like the biggest thing is like i want people in my organization to see this yeah but they don't need to have a monthly membership too yeah 100%. and i know you'd love to get everyone on a 10 20 per month per seat kind of yeah. thing but like just having that concept of guests and getting them in, super interesting. Something we're thinking about as soon as like bigger yeah. brands are using us and the decision makers or yeah. you know one the touch points are kind of different. But yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. yeah let, send me that article. I, I would love yeah. to see it. I'll put I'll put it in our little special Notion doc of uh, of cool. content that we're that yeah we're yeah doing. yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll that release I'm, that I'm a guest on. So Rick and this was this was killer. I loved I love this discussion. Thanks for joining us this week. Where should people reach out to you, reach out to Suna? Like what's the, what's the kind of quick way? Obviously, you know, marketing cool. clarity we put in the show notes. Go to Suna.co, S-O-O-N-A.co. Yeah. We got some big stuff coming. We just, we launched our own magic script video, script uh, AI generator. We got a whole lot of stuff for you to create content with. Um, and then for me, yeah, Rickon311. I love the band. That's not why it's 311. Yeah. That's my birthday. So Rickon311 <laughs> on Twitter. And then, yeah, you'll find all my other links there. You'll yeah. find me here saying as much crap as possible yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. 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 Oh, dude, the guy is a 
god level troll people don't know about it yet and it's all very <laughs> slight kind of things i'm just, not mean i'm not no mean no, no, no 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 it's I'm not just, mean it's just kind of like a tongue-in-cheek uh like, i mean look I come it, on yeah i think Personal about the, branding uh, the, emoji, is kind of silly. the emoji that's kind of like has that sly grin on his face that's kind of how yeah, i read it a every, little wink every, a little winky face. yeah exactly well this was it. this was killer cool man number seven number seven in the books appreciate you thanks man thank you for letting me fill in for Raba. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to having him back too. Bye. Yes, sir. Bye-bye.